It's amazing to have you all here tonight. We're going we're gonna to begin with a little, uh, little interaction, a little game, if you will, okay? Here's what's going to happen. Here in a second, I'm going to show you a picture. If what's on that picture confuses you, if it causes confusion in you, if it drums up some kind of passive confusion, I just want you to own that confusion. Maybe raise your hand so that you can see who else in the room is confused by the same thing that you are. Everyone understand the rules, all right? I'll show a picture. You raise your hand if you are confused by it. Number one, here we go. Let's start here. The Rubik's Cube. Who, who here is confused by a Rubik's Cube? All right. My quick percentage says about, about 40%. Can anyone here actually do a Rubik's Cube? Can anyone here? Are you serious? That's unbelievable. Brian, way to go, bro. That's awesome. We just learned a whole lot about each other, okay? All right, so we have, we have many more to go. Who is confused by this? Next slide. Who's confused by Bieber? Okay. Anyone confused by Bieber? Um. We had some, some comments here from the front that he's confused, uh, and that may very well be, but how many folks want to confess to, to being a believer? Okay, you've been to a Bieber concert. Hold on, who is that back there? Are you, I saw like some dudes, okay. All right, fair enough, okay. Let's, uh, let's progress a little bit, okay? Who's confused by directions? Who's confused by directions? This is my wife. Okay, my wife, if you want to tell her how to get somewhere, like, I'm like, listen, just pull up the map. I mean, she, she hates Google Maps, okay, like struggles with it. Uh, actually, conveniently here, put up a map from here to you, uh, in a previous slide, I actually put up a map from here to you swirl, uh, just for fun, just because I thought, you know, maybe after the bounce house barbecue in between, we could all head to you swirl for a lot of fun. Uh, has, have any guys been to you swirl? Okay, it's life changing. It's there in the streets of St. Charles. Next slide, how many of you guys are confused by your spouse or the opposite gender, okay? Confused by the opposite gender. Every male in this room should be raising your hand, okay? Listen, men. And, and, and women, I, it's just like, I, I hope that you're patient and gracious with us. It, we're just, we're confused, okay? Um, I, I tell my wife all the time, like, I, I'm not, I know, Mary, I, I like... I'm not a mind reader. I'm not a mind reader. You, you just have to spell it out for me. Any dudes, like, do you guys have this conversation with your wife? Like, listen, just, just please, like, put it on an Etch-A-Sketch or something. I, I don't get it. I don't know why sometimes when you cry, you want me to help you, and other times you don't. I, I, don't, I don't understand. Right. I, I, I don't get that sometimes body language says come near, and other times the same body language says run away. Like, I, I don't... So, uh, and, and maybe, maybe we're confusing. I, I don't know. Let's, let's progress a bit. Who's confused uh, by next slide? Who's confused by natural disaster? This is a picture from Joplin, the Joplin tornado. Anyone confused by, yeah. So when you look at 9-11, when you look at uh, some of the things that have happened, tsunamis, when you look at a tragedy wipes out men, women, children, uh, those are always the times that I have to answer a lot of questions um, from friends of mine who aren't believers, right? Like, how could a uh, God who you say, Mark, is love um, do something like that? Um, 
Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Let's, let's progress one more step. How many of you are confused by, by poverty? Unbelievably sad, right? When I was um, looking at several pictures that could display poverty, I found my heart like instantly burdened. Um, a lot of these things, maybe for you, are confusing. Now I want to ask you guys this question to put this in a frame of reference. When you are confused about something, what do you do about it? I, I want to propose that you do one of two things. Uh, some of you, when you are confused, you want to run to the source of confusion so that you can try to figure it out. Okay, so I mean, you, you go to it. Uh, we could say it in, in the, the fight or flight scenario, you, you go after it. I mean, you're a fighter. You want to learn. You want to grow. You, you want to put all the pieces together, right? Uh, you want the, the thing that was a puzzle. You, you long for it so bad to come together that you'll do anything to try to understand better why there is poverty, to do anything to understand better why uh, your parents got divorced, to understand better why you lost that job, to understand better why you had a miscarriage. You just go after it. I mean, you're a pursuer. Uh, Still others of you fall in a different camp. And again, this is generally two categories. But the other camp runs far away. From a simple thing like the Rubik's Cube, you get frustrated after 20 seconds and you're done. Okay? The thing is thrown out the window. Anyone, right? Like, you're just like, I I hate this. For some of you, you, when you begin to get confused, when things begin to get distorted, you run far away. You believe that it's better to turn your back on the thing and maybe if you ignore it, then it won't be confusing anymore. Well, here's what's happening in Corinth, okay? And for those of you that are just joining us, here's what we do at Matthias. We take the Bible and we study verse by verse. Why? So that we can teach hard texts. Uh, so that we're not just choosing uh, nice things that I want to preach, but that we're just taking God's word at his word and walking through it verse by verse. So we have been, it feels like, for about 10 years in 1 Corinthians. It's actually only been about a year. Okay. And so far what we've seen is a lot of things, but mostly is that the church in Corinth is a mess. They're uh, immature in their faith. They're turning to things that have become uh, distractions for them. And even though chapter 13, a few chapters ago, was all about love, it was bracketed by spiritual gifts and how the church at Corinth is taking these spiritual gifts and how they are confusing them. So, so far we've wrestled with difficult things like prophecy and speaking in tongues and a whole bunch of other cuss words in the Christian church where people do not want to talk about it because it's hard to talk about. And so tonight what's happened is in Corinth, apparently things in the worship gathering have gotten very confusing, okay? So all that said, I want to walk you through a passage that quite honestly, I have never, ever, ever understood until studying for this and I cannot wait to share it. So open your Bibles or turn into your phones to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to begin with verse 26, only going uh, tonight to verse 33a, we'll cut halfway in the verse of 33 and then finish the chapter next week. Here we go. Let's start with verse 26. We're just going to walk through this verse by verse. Again, great to have you all here tonight. Seriously, new friends and old. What then, brothers? 
When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. He says, let all things be done for building up. There's a couple things that are really interesting. First of all, I want you to understand that our Lot family model of gathering as a church community on Sunday in homes was very much like the normal pattern of the church in Corinth. Okay. There probably would have been some sort of gathering of those home churches, for lack of a better term, maybe at an elderly person's house, someone that had a bigger home. But generally speaking, on the week-to-week basis, most often, at least from my research, it seems that the church in Corinth met often, not just in synagogues, but, but in homes. And so apparently what's happening is people are coming to meet and worship with the body of Christ, listen, not to get, but they're coming to give. Which is, I think we could all agree, almost 100% countercultural to the Christian culture that surrounds us, right? When in the world did following Christ become a spectator sport? At what point did following Christ become I come to get my needs met by taking all that I can from those that are great leaders and then I'll walk out the door and I'll come back to be filled up again next week. That's not what we see here. People people are showing up desiring to use what we've been learning about, their spiritual gifts, how God has gifted them. And again, if you think about this in terms of our lot families on Sunday or kind of a house church model, let's just walk walk through all these, okay? So some folks are showing up with a hymn. And some of you are like, whoa, 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 whoa. So, so Mark, like, do I, like, I grew up in the church. Mark, do I, like, show up then and my family are here with a, with a hymnal, right? And, I, and then I walk up to somebody and I'm like, hey, I got a hymn for you. Turn to page 233. You guys, some of you guys will remember that, right? Okay, and, and is, is, is that what it looks like? Well, Maybe for the context of Corinth, a hymn could be interpreted like the reading of a psalm. Uh, Yes, it could be a song, but it could just be a a, a stirring of words put together, maybe from the Old Testament, of how and what God has done. Okay, So that is what a hymn would be, so some are coming with that. Others are coming with a lesson. This would be in the form of a teaching. Uh, This could be, like we've been learning about, we'll talk more about tonight, like a prophetic word, okay? Some are coming with that. Others, a revelation, okay? God has seemingly spoke to them, and so they're coming to to share that with the body of Christ. Uh, A tongue, as we've been talking about, or an interpretation. People come to give. Now, certainly when the body of Christ comes to give, listen, there is getting, listen, that comes from giving, Listen, my favorite thing at Christmas time is not getting Christmas presents. It's giving them, isn't it? To me, it's way more fun to give gifts than it is not. Okay, uh, today, um, I made some good friends at a local store. And uh, I, I just I texted the, the manager this morning. I was like, hey, what time's your lunch today? And uh, he's like, why? You know, and he was maybe thinking I was going to show up and join them or something in the, in the break room. I don't, I don't know. But, you know, he's, he's, and I was like, well, hey, I just I want to send you lunch today. And listen, the, the, it cost me 36 bucks, $36, okay? The joy of sending that gift 
Okay, 36 bucks, not a huge investment, but the joy of sending that. Oh my goodness, it was, it was unbelievable. It was way better, way better than sitting around in a group of people and somehow being provided for. Imagine this. Imagine if all 600 of you who are involved in Lot Families on Sunday showed up in that home to give. Uh, what if the prep of your heart that morning was, God, I know you've given me gifts, and I would love to reveal you as the good gift giver by me being a good steward of the gift. So God, I pray that I would be hospitable this morning. I pray that I would maybe uh, be the last to eat. I pray that I wouldn't be just thinking about my needs, but I'd be willing to serve, to bend the knee, to help, to watch the kids, to enjoy, whatever, like on and on and on. Imagine if all of us showed up here saying, God, use my spiritual gift in a way that can, as the scripture says in verse 26, build up the body for your glory. Instead, somehow, we exist in a culture, and I'm, I'm thankful for the majority not here. I'm so blessed and encouraged by you. In fact, there was 20 folks serving earlier tonight, just getting ready so that we could all enjoy later. But imagine how much of a spectator sport Christianity has become. It certainly wasn't for the disciples. It certainly wasn't for Peter as he, as he was being crucified upside down. There was nothing spectator about it. He was giving everything. Are we together? Okay. So that's the, that's the image in Corinth. The problem is... They're bringing all of these things, and there's disorder, okay? So one, one person's got a hymn, another person's got a lesson, another person's got an interpretation or a tongue or a revelation, and they're all, it's like throwing them in a big, like, like when your grandma used to make stew from leftovers, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of, a, that's kind of the deal, right? It's just like, it's like goulash in cafeteria days. You guys remember goulash? What even was that? Like, that, there's no way that that would pass any kind of FDA, CDC stuff today, which are probably the wrong acronyms anyway, right? Right? So what they were doing is they were throwing all these gifts in, and, and there was disorder in them. So Paul wants to bring some order. So here's what he does in verse 27 and verse 28. If any speak in a tongue, and again, just if you're joining us so that we're all on the same page here, some of you are like, well, I speak with my tongue. Like, uh, you know, it, what, what do you mean? Well, in Scripture, and what we believe still present today, very quickly, there were two types of speaking in tongues. One, where God would give someone a different language to speak that could be understood by others in their own language. Okay? And then there is another kind of speaking in tongues that, that we've been referring to in the last couple of weeks as a prayer language. Uh, some sort of communion between you and God. Again, a spiritual gift, not a sign of spiritual maturity. But God would give it as a means of communing with you, okay? So here's his rules, for lack of a better term, on tongue speaking. If anyone speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, which is, which is really interesting, right? Because it, it's like, all right, if you're setting some structure for order, why wouldn't Paul, you just say two or why wouldn't you say three? Well, why would you give the parameter of two or three? It's, it's as if there's a little liberty there. And he says, and each in turn, and let someone interpret, verse 28. But if there is no one to interpret the tongue, let each of them keep what? Keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Some of you have been longing for this verse. As we've been walking through this in chapter 14, you've been wondering, all right, what is Paul's stance 
on speaking in tongues in public worship gatherings or in home worship gatherings. Here it is. It's to be done in an orderly fashion. If it is not interpreted or God hasn't blessed someone with the gift of interpretation, then it's to be done between you and God so that as we learned last week, it's not a distraction to the non-believer in your midst. And for those of you that missed last week, that will, that's what was happening. Non-believers were coming in. Everyone was using their gifts at the same time. And they were getting confused about who the God is that they were all worshiping. They're like, this is, this is chaos, right? Well, he provides some structure. Two or three in turn, if no one interprets between you and God. Huge next verse, verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. All right, I want to hang here for a minute. Here's why. Some of the greatest damage that has ever been done in your life from other believers was because they said they had a word from God for you. Uh, You didn't know where they stood per se. You didn't know how close or near they were to the Lord. Maybe you came to them looking for wisdom or counsel, or maybe they just came to you. And all of a sudden they said, man, I, I really think God said this. Some of you have made some of the most crucial decisions of your life because people have claimed that it's a word from the Lord for you. And so you're like, well, yeah, I mean, if, if you got a word from the Lord Almighty for me, please do, right? There's something luring about that. Uh, here's what I picture happening in Corinth, which, which has happened uh, in some of the good revivals, some of the charismatic revivals in our culture, is people get so obsessed with getting a prophetic word about their life that essentially the church just becomes a bunch of soothsayers. And so then everyone gets together. Oh, do you have a word for me? Do you have a word for me? Do you have a word for me? And they're like walking around with pamphlets, taking down the prophetic words that God has for them from others. You guys understand the danger in that? Okay. So what Paul does here in Corinth is he says, look, let two or three prophets speak the same numerical value as tongues and let the other, what's the word there? Weigh what is said. Uh, The Greek word for weigh there, it's, it's uh, interpreted, we could say, discern. Let the others discern. Now, prophecy is, is a little bit different, Old Testament from New Testament. As we explained, uh, uh, proclaimed a couple weeks ago, prophecy in the Old Testament was an office. Isaiah the prophet. Okay. Now, prophecy is a spiritual gift that God gives where he may stir something in you through the Holy Spirit to share But that thing that is shared cannot ever exist on an island. Just because I say, I believe God told me this, it doesn't mean that it should not be discerned. Uh, This is what many of you guys know we're so anti about. We're anti the exaltation of man here. Why? Because man is unbelievably fallible. We put our hope and trust in a man or a leader or a group of leaders. If that's where our hope lies and not the person of Christ, we will and forever inevitably be disappointed, right? So listen, what happens because Christianity has become a spectator sport is folks come, they hear the word preached, 
and then it's close the Bible. And then it's, it's come back again next week. It is so much more beautiful when together we weigh the words of God and it becomes for us, let's look at this, number one, a huge example of what it means to weigh. How can others weigh prophecy? Number one, look at this. Affirm it aligns with scripture. Imagine, imagine if you left here, and again, I know some of you guys young in the faith, Season in the faith, you're all over the place, which is great, and it's awesome. I'm so thankful for our diversity. What if you left here on a Wednesday night, and you really desired not just to take me at my word? Oh, Mark studied this. He's, man, you know, and he, he was able to put those words together, and I'm sure all of this was true. But what if things like preaching... What if things like our lot family gatherings, what if things like when people came to you with a wisdom and encouragement, it actually drove us to the scripture instead of or in addition to our daily reading plans? You guys see what I'm saying? This is how believers find themselves forever in God's word. Why? Because people are always speaking truth. And so then if we're desiring to weigh that truth, it consistently draws us to the word, not because someone has told us that we need to read five chapters today to get through the Bible in a year, but because we want to make sure what we heard was true. And nothing, no prophetic word will ever go against the scripture. Are we together? Now, it may not be in the scripture. Okay, so some of you are like, well, but my friend gave me a word from the Lord that I was supposed to go to Lindenwood. Well, you're not going to find that in Matthew 29. You know what I'm saying? So, Right? It's like, oh, and, and you shall go to Lindenwood. It's not in there. Right? So what do we do in those moments? Well, we're making sure that it's not contradictory to the Scripture. You see what I'm saying? Hey, you know what? Lindenwood. Well, there's nothing in the Scripture that would say that I shouldn't go to college. And if I'm going to go to said college and I'm going to glorify the Lord and be interested in making disciples and, and serve sacrificially and, for lack of a better term, die then why not? You see what I'm saying? But there's other things. Again, I've sat with many couples. Uh, hey, Mark, listen, we're having a premarital sex and we don't see anything uh, biblical against it. In fact, uh, we had some counsel that said it was all good. And listen, in all grace and love, I'm like, and where was that counsel from? Right. Because I just, I want to show you the Bible I'm reading. And trust me, This book is a book of gifts for you. You see, what happens is most often when people get to that moment, we've talked about this before, instead of seeing the commands of the scripture as gifts, they feel like that the church is going to come down on their sin instead of helping them see that God is gracious enough to say, you know what, when you struggle sexually, primarily, there's no joy in it. It kills your heart. And as a good father, he's trying to protect you trying to love you in deeper and more tangible ways. Are we together? And so when I sit with those folks, I'm like, okay, listen, I know you got counsel. Let's just agree right now. We can get counsel to say anything we want them to say. Amen? Come on. There's a couple people that you go to that are yes men. Hey, listen, so I really feel like I'm supposed to open my own red lobster, you know? <laughs> right? What do, you, what do you think about it? Like, you think that's a good idea? Right? And there's a good chance your mom, generally, is going to say yes, right? Go after your dreams, son or daughter, right? Those cheddar biscuits will change St. Charles County. Like, like, go for it, right? Like, do it. 
But then you're going to have other brothers and sisters that are going to say, okay, so how much, how much have you saved up? Well, I have $2.50. But don't worry, the bank's going to give me like a $3 million loan. Well, I, okay, well, let's, let's back up from that for a second. Let's, let's gauge the scripture. You see, what was happening in Corinth is people were getting, giving prophetic words, but no one was taking the time to affirm it. People were just like, oh, yeah, that's a word from the Lord. They, they were getting, listen, obsessed with the stirring of a word from God. It must align with scripture. Number two, it also must do this. It also must be affirmed through prayer, and I even included here fasting. Uh, What I found most often is when people give wisdom, counsel, when they have a word from the Lord, our tendency is just to latch on to the word instead of the Lord. We get so focused on what this person had to say to us or this piece of counsel or this wisdom that our interest is really that because we really want the end. But what happens in prayer is you find yourself not focusing on the word, but you find yourself focusing on the Lord. You guys see what I'm saying? And it's the Lord who needs to affirm whether this word was in fact a prophetic word stirred by a spiritual gift in someone else. So prayer does that, and fasting does that. It's been a long time, I know, for some of you uh, who, who have fasted, and I just want to encourage you, pulling back from eating, not publicizing it so that people can congratulate your holiness, but pulling back from eating and resting in the Lord, knowing that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. There is so much life in it. I long to see us continually be stirred uh, to a place and as a place of fasting. When we hear prophetic words, we weigh it with prayer and even fasting. How about this? Third and finally, how can we weigh prophecy? We share the prophecy with others to get counsel and affirmation. We've prayed, we've sought the scripture, and now we bring maybe a disciple in our life, maybe a leader in, in our life. Hey, hey, listen, and again, not the yes people. Okay, you're not going to your pets like looking for high fives, right? You're, you're seeking out people that have challenged you before. You're seeking out people that have looked you in the eye and said, uh, what you just did right there, and I speak all this in love, that was pride. You're, you're going after those people. Listen, this person came to me and they shared this with me and they said they, they thought maybe it was from the Lord or I read this in a book and, and I'm wondering if it's from the Lord. What do you think? I, I've sought the Lord on it. I've sought his scriptures and, and now I would love, love, love some affirmation. This whole thing takes time which is what Corinth wasn't giving prophecy. Prophecy was a part of it. Everyone was taking it generally and they were running with it instead of allowing their heart to rest in what God could do, okay? Order. He continues to map out the order as he goes on. Look at what he says here in verse 30. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can call all prophecy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. And this is, again, this is one of those verses you're like, como se dice, right? Like, I, I, don't, I don't understand. Let's read it one more time. We'll break it down. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. In other words, wait on the Lord. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may, what's the word? Learn and what? Be what? 
encourage. You guys remember what verse 26 said? All of this is for the purpose of what? Building up. So now we see for the last time in chapter 14, the reasons for spiritual gifts. Glorifying God by building up the body of Christ, learning and encouraging. Not for distraction, not for self-exaltation, not to be a sign of maturity. Look at my spiritual gifts, I'm awesome. None of those things. They are so others in the body can learn and grow and mature. So that others in the body can be encouraged, can be stirred, uh, can be uh, uh, brought farther towards Christ. And so what he's saying is, listen, listen. I know I've hammered a lot on the misrepresentation and misuse of speaking in tongues, but prophecy is dangerous as well. You need, to, you need to be very, very patient in it. Take your time, and as verse 32 says, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. In other words, there's always subjection. And again, you'll notice the lowercase p here. All of this is leading to one verse, which which honestly I have struggled, struggled all of my life explaining that I feel like tonight the Lord has stirred me with something. Next slide. For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Now, worshipers show something about who they worship by how they worship. So what was happening in Corinth is people were coming in and they were getting the picture that God was confusing because their worship gatherings were confusing. It was a cluttery mess. Everyone using their gifts. The non-believer walks in and they're like, if this is God, then I want absolutely nothing to do with this. Are you kidding? Like, I don't even know that person's language. This, you know, this, this girl over there is like, you know, with a tambourine and some sort of flag running around. Like, this person over here is like, and you got people knocking people in the face. Like, this is crazy. I'm out. How worshipers worship shows something about who they worship. And so God is not a God of confusion, but of God of peace. Have you guys ever wrestled with this? People have asked me before, Mark, what, what, do you think of, what do you think of 1 Corinthians 14, 33? God's not a God of confusion because I certainly find myself pretty confused. And if the Holy Spirit's in me, then, then Mark, how does this work? Can I share with you, please? Next slide, look at this. God is not a, confu- a, God, of conf- a God of confusion because God is not confused. You see, you see, here's the thing. I have forever tried to explain this in light of me. But then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm looking at this, and I'm like, well, well, God is not a God of confusion because he is never confused. There's never a point where, where God's like, I can't, I can't believe that happened. Listen, there's never a point where he's not connecting the dots. Uh, there's never a point where, where he's wondering what's going to happen next or what the outcome is going to be. You guys, you guys understand what I'm saying? But this truth prompts a whole bunch of other issues. Just let it sit on you for a second. God is not a God of confusion because God is not confused. But we are, so what does that mean? Next slide. 
What has caused you the most confusion about God? You personally. When was the time like fists clenched? Shower beating down on you. Sitting in a corner somewhere all by yourself, weeping. Driving in your car, mindlessly just struggling. God, why? God, how? Listen. Do you, do you believe this? Do you agree with me? That when you talk to the majority of folks who don't believe in God, it's because they find him confusing. Why? Because of these things, the same that have happened to you. Okay, next slide. They get to some of these things. Miscarriage, divorce, loss of job, cancer, sickness, infertility. Abuse, the prosperity of others, broken relationships, natural disasters, not feeling loved. They get to moments like this. Again, some of these things, your story. And they're wondering the same things that some of you have wondered. How could a loving God allow this? And so they're, they're sitting there wrestling with that. Like, how could a loving God cause my loved one to have to go through this pain? How could a a good, non-confusing, peaceful God allow my marriage to fall apart? How could a good, loving, peaceful God not allow us to have kids? God, you know we've prayed, God. We have have fists clenched on our knees, cried out that you would provide children. God, what, what is wrong with us? Did we do something wrong? So you relate to the non-believer because we've experienced it. We've had the same confusion. But what if, what if, what if all of our perspective could change? Listen, what if it was possible tonight that God not being confused could actually be one of the greatest keys to our deepening trust? Let me show you what I mean. Next slide. Mark chapter 4. Let's look at this with me. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, to the disciples, let us go across to the other side. This is one of my favorite stories. And leaving the crowd, they took, uh, took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Mark records a lot of details that some of the other gospels don't. One of those details is other boats were with them. So you guys have heard me share the story before in a different context. The beautiful thing is, Jesus knows what's coming. Jesus is not confused about the situation. He tells the boys to get in the boat and go to the other side. I shared before, I've been to the Sea of Galilee. This is not a massive ocean sort of setting. Often you can see to the other side. It's mountainous, hilly terrain. Imagine that. Next slide, here's what happens. Verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and this is typical on the Sea of Galilee. Again, you, it, you have kind of a valley setting, right? So squalls can come over uh, the mountains or the hills and enter the sea. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. The, the image there is that they're hitting so hard, is that like the boat feels like it's going to fall apart. 
So that the boat was already filling. There's water coming on board. This is awesome in verse 38. But he was in the stern asleep on the what? On the cushion. Like the other gospels don't mention this. It's not just that Jesus was sleeping in the storm. He was like nestled up on a cushion. Okay, and, and I love this. And, and again, like I'm, I'm surmising though I was, I'm not an ancient cushionist, okay, that my, my guess is, is that if, 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 like if, if there was a cushion and it was somehow substantial enough to mention that it must have been pretty comfy. So Jesus is so not confused, so not alarmed. He's not just sleeping. He's in the stern on a pillow, okay? And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care? Come on. Come on. Jesus, do you not care? Why no kids? Why infidelity in my spouse? Why do my kids seem out of control? Jesus, do you not care? And for those that have ever said that, and even more specifically, are saying that right now. Jesus, you don't care about this. You don't care about that. Watch what happens. Jesus, our teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Here's what Jesus says. He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, what, what's the word? Come on. Peace. God is not a God of what? Confusion, but a God of what? Peace. Uh, he could have said any word, right? He could have said, ta-da, right? Like he, right? like he could have moses it, you know? He could have like stretched out his hand. He, he could have said anything to the sea. Instead, Jesus, listen, he chose the word peace. God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Peace be still, and the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And finally, look at this. Here's the response. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Remember when I asked you guys this question earlier? Remember when I asked you this? Next slide. And I said, some of you run to and others of you run away. My assumption is that many of you in these areas that has caused confusion, hurt, pain, is instead of running to the source of peace, you've run away in fear of the answers. But what if tonight, instead of fleeing, we ran to the one who is not confused? Mark, why cancer? Why tragedy? 
Why miscarriage? Why hurt? Why poverty? Can I tell you why? It's the effects of sin. The effects of sin. And, and how could a good God then allow all of these harmful, hurtful, horrible things to happen? I understand that that's our perspective, but that is a limited view. The unlimited view is how could a God who, though we deserve nothing, extend his arm of grace and say, you could be my kids in spite of your sin. That's what he's not confused about. Oh, I know the effects of sin are great, and I know the abuse is horrible. It, it, it hurts so bad, it, it's, it's deep in your soul. The, the pain caused from the loss of loved one, the, the pain caused from miscarriage, the loss of job that's caused economic strife, all of it. I, he gets it, he understands he's still the God of all comfort, but he's not confused by any of it. It's a result of sin, and he has provided a way out. And that's how tonight the peace of God can pass over each and every one of us. In a worship gathering in Corinth, that's how a city that was desperate to hear the gospel could all of a sudden have order in their worship gathering so that the worshipers, just by how they plead to the throne of God, could show Corinth who God was. What if that could happen in us? What if tonight you didn't run away anymore from that pain? But you said, God, I don't know the answers, but I know you're not confused by it. So bring peace. Bring comfort. Bring healing. And what if tonight then we got the chance to show St. Charles, the city that we love so dearly, that our God is not a God of hate, that our God is not a God of confusion, but my friends, our God is a God of peace in the storm. Let's stand together, come on. There's been some things in my life that I have just let hang out there. And as the days have gone by in prep for tonight, I've just, I've just thrown my hands up and said, God, I, I'm thankful that you're not confused. And I'm thankful that you're going to make all things new. And I'm thankful that your son's coming back. And I'm thankful that I have life in him. Then all of a sudden, the mess that our existence seems to be is superseded by the character of God. You guys see? So I want to pray right now in power for peace, for encouragement, for strength, and more importantly, that some of those things that you've held on to for a long time that have created doubts, that you would hear the words of Jesus. Peace, be still. So Father, please. Please, God. Help us rest and trust deeply in your character, deeply in your sovereignty, deeply in who you are, your love and your grace. I pray, God, that we would never misrepresent you to this culture. So, God, I pray that our own encounters with you would, would be that you are, in fact, 
so not confused, so directed that your plan will be shown, that it will continue to be revealed, and that it includes through Christ's salvation, hope. God, tonight, bring hope to the hopeless. Bring love to those who feel unlovable. Bring faith to the faithless. And lastly, God, I pray that you would bring peace to the chaos. Thank you, God.